All right. It feels a little bit like being a one-man show, and it's not. There's still like 20, 30 people serving this Sunday to make the service happen. But once you pull out the worship and most of the tech team, it's a little quiet. It's a little different. There's a lot of kids missing too. But it's so good. I love that about our church, that we're pretty committed. We want to do the best we can with the gifts that God's given us. Uh, We believe that each person has been given different gifts, different abilities to serve the church, serve the community around them. And sometimes we just focus on using the gift that we have where it's like, I need to serve every week. But God's actually calls not just to serve with the gifts we have, but to develop and grow, invest in them. And I really appreciate our worship and tech team that are going to learn and invest in the gifts that they have through watching how another church practices doing church and doing worship and doing tech and just learn some great things, grow as a team. So I'm thankful for them. And this morning, we're continuing our series, Why We Are the Way We Are, which, if you're confused by that long name, Why We Are the Way We Are is a series about some of the the 24 core beliefs that we hold as a church community that come from the Mennonite, the confession of faith from a Mennonite perspective. I always get tripped up on all five long words. But profession of faith from a Mennonite perspective. And this morning we're looking at our confession around Scripture. But before we get started on the talking part, we need to do an activity. We actually need to do a challenge. So I need three volunteers who are slightly competitive. Or maybe massively competitive. But I need three volunteers. Okay, we have one. Good job, Florence. I need two more volunteers. And Karen... Are there any competitive guys in this place? Oh, there we go. Nathan. Perfect. Okay, so for this competition, you need to choose your tool. We have a straw, we have a set of two pencils, and we have a pair of scissors. You guys can pick your tool for this challenge. (laughs) All right, and then if you want to line up behind the table, we'll reveal what the challenge is this morning. How are you guys feeling? Are you ready for this? Sure. No. No. (laughs) Okay. I like Florence's confidence. Okay. So this morning's challenge, let's see what we have going on here. I raided the kids' supply closet. Hopefully I don't get in trouble with anybody in charge of the kids' ministry. So what we have here is we have two cups per person, and one cup is full of beads and the other is empty. Now the goal of this competition is to put as many beads as possible into your empty cup in about 30 seconds. You are not allowed to touch the cups. You are not allowed to touch the beads. The only thing that can come in contact with the beads is the tool that you have chosen. Um, Try not to come up with some loophole and bend this because this is an illustration and a challenge. Try to, so using the tool that you have, try to transfer as many beads from one cup to the other in 30 seconds. Are you guys ready? On your mark, get set, go. All right, we've got about 20 seconds to go still. (laughs) 10, (laughs) 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, and time! (laughs) 
Okay, well, I know why Florence felt ready. She had the confidence to just cheat her way through, and I love it. Uh, if I had to call a winner, I think it would be Nathan. I think Nathan earned it. Yeah. But let's give a big hand to everyone being great sports. You guys can take a seat again. Unfortunately, there's no prizes. There's just bragging rights. Um, if I were Florence, I'd just be bragging about you know, bullying the young people. It's pretty fun to bully kids sometimes. Anyways, that's a dumb joke. <laughs> I don't even know where I'm going now. I did not expect that competition to get that good. Okay, okay. Yeah, this morning we're talking about tools. We're talking about the tool of God's trade. And when you do a project, you go and grab your tools for it normally. If you're cooking, like if you're going camping, you have to remember to bring the cooking supplies. If you're putting up shelves that your wife got to put like books and like flower pots and candles on on the walls of your rooms that you're going to smack your shoulder on. And I, they'll look cute, but also I'm probably going to hurt myself on them. Um, you go down to the storage room to find your tools and you try to pick all the right tools so you don't have to go back to the storage room, right? And I was doing that last night and I was installing these shelves and it turned out I needed a hammer. I did not have a hammer. But what I did have was I had the battery from my power tools and so I just used it as a hammer and was like, this is probably not the best idea. It's getting the job done, but it's probably not the best idea. This project, if I had just given somebody a spoon, then you wouldn't even have to cheat like some people here do, right? You have the right tool for the job. Otherwise, you have to get creative, right? You can get the job done, but not as well. And part of being human is that we have a sense from the time that we are born, we have the sense that we're created to do things. You ever watch a toddler? They do things. Currently, my younger toddler who can't even toddle yet, she can only crawl. Her primary purpose in life is to pull books off bookshelves. And we don't have enough bookshelves to get all the books up out of her reach, and so we spend a few hours, like, honestly, probably a few hours a week putting books back on the bookshelves, because she's like, I need to do things. But as kids get a little bit older, you start to ask them what they want to do with their life, and what work they want to do, and they often say they want to do a job, like be a doctor or a nurse because they want to help people. Or they want to be a police officer because they want to keep people safe. Garbage man that drives a truck. I want to be a garbage man. I was obsessed with it. But not only do we want to do things, we want to do good things. We want to do good work. We want to actually help those around us. We want... We don't want to just destroy what's around us, but we actually want to create good things. And it's part of how God designed us as humans. Part of how we reflect his image was we were created to do good things. Just as God is a creator and he does good work, he created us to reflect that in our own lives. And so there's various ways that we try to prepare ourselves and be equipped to do good work, right? The reality is the start of our lives here in Canada, from about age 5 to 25, most of our life is just focused on learning how to do good work. Not doing anything, just learning how to do things. So we go to grade school, and then we go to middle school, and then we go to high school, and then we go to university. 
oftentimes, or a trade school, learning how to do good work. Not even doing anything, just learning how. Preparing ourselves and being equipped to do good work. And maybe you find yourself, and you go, man, I'm not good at this part of my life. I'm going to read a self-help book to learn how to work with my mindset and prepare myself to do better work. Or maybe you get a mentor. Maybe you even find yourself sometimes praying, saying, God, I want to do good work with my life. Can you prepare me for that? Can you equip me for that? And our focus this morning is on the tool of God's trade, the tool that God uses to prepare and equip us to do good work. Because you can use a lot of tools. You can use a straw to move beads. You can use scissors to move beads, but a spoon's going to work a lot better. You can say, I was created to do good work, and so I'm going to prepare and equip myself by going to university and working with this mentor and reading these books and maybe joining this organization even to do good work. But what we're going to find this morning is that God actually has a primary tool, the tool that he designed specifically to prepare and equip you to do good work in your life, and that's the Bible. That's Scripture. So this morning, we're going to start off by looking at our, the uh, summary statement of our confession of faith on Scripture. We believe that all Scripture is inspired by God through the Holy Spirit for instruction in salvation and training in righteousness. We accept the Scriptures as the Word of God and as the fully reliable and trustworthy standard for Christian faith and life. Led by the Holy Spirit in the church, we interpret Scripture in harmony with Jesus Christ. And that's a lot of ideas packed into a very short statement. So we're going to work through those ideas that we're sharing, those beliefs that we're sharing, phrase by phrase. We start off with, we believe that all Scripture is inspired by God through the Holy Spirit. One of the things that you'll find when you read the Bible is the New Testament, the part written when Jesus was on earth and after, about that, talks about the Holy Spirit a lot. The Old Testament, the part that was written before Christ came to earth, occasionally mentions the Spirit of God. So in the early church, when they're going, okay, how does God work? We've been, there's a group of people who have been following God for a long time. The Jewish people have been following God for a long time, and they've been practicing their faith. And then Jesus comes and says, I'm building on that faith. I'm, at, I'm adding on to this. I'm giving you a bigger picture of this. And so the early Jewish formerly Jewish, now Christians, followers of Christ, they had this foundation, and Peter writes a book to them. One of the early church leaders by the name of Peter writes a book, is writing to them. He says, above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding. The whole Old Testament never came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. The Bible wasn't written by people just being like, hey, this is a good idea about God. This is just a good philosophy. No, instead, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit, and they spoke from God. And we hold this belief that all of Scripture was written by human authors who were not inspired by, oh man, I have a good idea to write down. But they're actually inspired by the work of the Holy Spirit, that God spoke, he communicated through them. The next phrase, for instruction and salvation and training in righteousness. And Paul writes this to Timothy. Um, the, 
Paul was an older leader in the early church, and Timothy was a younger guy. And he writes to Timothy, You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and, they've been given, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God, which we already just talked about, but this echoes that, is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong. It teaches us to do what is right. And so Paul is telling Timothy that Scripture will tell us what we need to know to have a saving knowledge, a saving relationship with God, understand how God wants to save us from the brokenness in our own lives, the problems that we're creating in our lives, how God wants to save us from that. So it's useful for instruction and salvation and training in righteousness. And what's righteousness? Righteousness is living rightly. You ever seen somebody living wrongly? Like you could be like, living rightly is a vague idea, but then you see somebody living wrongly and you're like, like you watch a small child put their shoes on backwards and you're like, you're living life wrong. Your shoes are on backwards. It's uncomfortable. Of course you're whining about how long the walk is when your shoe is pinching your foot. You're living life wrongly. And so Paul's telling Timothy, as you live your life, Scripture will help you go, hey, this is, and you compare what God sh- shares with you through Scripture and what, how you're living your life. You need to go, okay, this is how this is line up with how God created me as a human to live. And this is where how I'm living my human life does not line up at all with how God created me to work as a human. And no wonder things are going a little bit wrong in my life. The next phrase, we accept the scriptures as the word of God. One of my favorite questions when I was a youth pastor is everyone, like when you're a little kid, you just go, oh yeah, the Bible's just the Bible. The Bible's just this, like it just happened. And then you become a teenager and you start to have these questions like, where did the Bible come from? Why are there 66 books in the Bible, not 67 or 64? Like, why did it become what it is? Why do we believe that this, that this is the Word of God, but then the letter that I wrote to my friend is not the Word of God, right? Where does this come from? And that's a great question. People spend their entire academic career studying this. Uh, I love the summary from the Bible Project, so we're just going to watch their summary of this topic really quickly. The Bible. It's one of the most influential books in human history. It explores the big questions of why we exist. It's inspired many people to do amazing things. And confused many others. And you've probably got one sitting around somewhere. So, what is the Bible actually? Well, the Bible is a small library of books that all emerged out of the history of the people of ancient Israel. And in one sense, they were just like any other ancient civilization. But among them were a long line of individuals called prophets. And they viewed Israel's story as anything but ordinary. They saw it as a central part of what God was doing for all humanity. And these prophets were literary geniuses. Really? Yeah, they expertly crafted the Hebrew language to write epic narratives, very sophisticated poetry. They were masters of metaphor and storytelling. And they leveraged all of this to explore life's most complicated questions about death and life and the human struggle. So... There's a lot of different authors writing this book. Yeah, and these texts were produced over a thousand-year period, starting with Israel's origins in Egypt, then leading up to their kingdom with their first temple. But eventually, they were conquered by the Babylonians, who took them away into exile. 
Then, at a crucial moment in their history, many Israelites returned to their land. They built a second temple, they reformed their identity, and this is when the Jewish scriptures began to be formed into the shape that we have them today. Okay, the Jewish Bible. What's in it? Well, in Hebrew, it's called by an acronym, Tanakh. The T stands for Torah, sometimes called the Law. That's Israel's five-book foundation story. The N stands for Nevi'im, the Hebrew word for prophets. And this section consists of the historical books that tell Israel's story from the prophet's point of view. Then you get the poetic books of the prophets themselves. The K stands for Ketavim, the Hebrew word for writings. This is a diverse collection of poetic books, wisdom books, and more narrative. And the Jewish people believe that through all of these literary works, God speaks to his people. Now, there were other Jewish writings being produced during this second temple period as well. Yeah, a really diverse group of texts. And these two were highly valued in Jewish communities. And there was debate from ancient times about whether or not some of these should be considered part of their scriptures. So this is a lot of different writings over a long period of time. Why did they put them all together like this? Well, altogether, these texts tell an epic story about how God is working through these people to bring order and beauty out of the chaos of our world. And it all builds up to a hope for a new leader who would come and renew all creation. And then the Tanakh concludes, and this leader never comes. So it's an expertly crafted work, but it's missing an ending? That's exactly right. Now, a few centuries later, a Jewish prophet comes onto the scene named Jesus of Nazareth. He claimed he was carrying the Tanakh story forward. Yeah, so Jesus did a bunch of cool stuff was killed, but his followers claimed he was alive from the dead. Yeah, they said that Jesus was that long-awaited leader who would restore the world. And so his earliest followers, called apostles, they composed new literary works about the story of Jesus. They called these good news or the gospel. They formed an account called Acts about the spread of the Jesus movement outside of Israel. And then they circulated letters to different Jesus communities all around the ancient world. And they saw these writings as part of the scripture. Yeah, the apostles wrote all of this as the fulfillment of that epic story found in the Tanakh. And they were continuing the literary genius of the Jewish tradition. They also believed that God was speaking to his people through these texts alongside the scriptures of Israel. So that's the Old and New Testament. But what did the early Christians think of the other Second Temple literature? Well, different groups had different views about some of these books, but we know they read them and valued these texts because they passed them along with the Jewish scriptures. Okay, so we've got the Tanakh, the Jewish scriptures. We've got these other Second Temple period works. Then the writing of the apostles about Jesus. And that's a lot of literature, so what's in my Bible? So the Christian movement has taken different forms over 2,000 years, and from the beginning, all Christians recognized the Tanakh and the New Testament as scripture. And for centuries, much of the Second Temple literature was read as part of the biblical tradition. The Catholic Church eventually made it official and called some of the books from this collection the Deuterocanonical books. Some Orthodox churches used even more books from this Second Temple literature. And then in the 1500s, during the Reformation, Protestant Christians wanted to go back to the oldest writings of the prophets and apostles, so they accepted only the Old and New Testaments. Okay, I think I got it. But how does a collection of books produced over a thousand years by all these different authors tell one unified story? Yeah, that's the question we'll address in our next video. So, it's complicated. Hey, I'm John. And I'm Tim. This and is I'm the Bible Project. We believe the... Yeah, it's complicated. Uh, 
there's a lot to learn there. I'd encourage you to learn some of it. It's incredible history seeing how, as a church community, for 2,000 years, we've discerned what writings of church leaders, what writings of those that were prophetic, what writings are actually inspired as the words of God that should be included in Scripture, and where we're like, hey, that's a good idea, but maybe it's not Scripture. So moving on to our next statement. And as the fully reliable and trustworthy standard for Christian faith and life. And the authors of our Confession of Faith wrote some descriptions of things and the why they wrote what they wrote to go along with it. I love what they say about this statement. They say precisely how God has inspired the scriptures through the Holy Spirit is not explained in the Bible. And this is something you're going to run into. Frequently when you read the Bible, you go, okay, if I read the Bible enough, if I study enough, I'm going to find the answer to this. And the authors of our profession of faith are saying, hey, you can study the Bible all day long. We can't find out how precisely how God inspired the scriptures through the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we content ourselves with the assurance the scripture is fully reliable and trustworthy because the one who has inspired it is faithful and true. That's part of how we form our faith. When we experience, when we encounter the God of the universe, when we come to faith in Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit, and we see that alignment between this God that we've encountered and come to faith in and, these, and the Bible, we go, the God affirms the Bible. And we, and we see that alignment. We go, okay, because we trust God, we trust the Bible. And we come to believe it, trust it as completely trustworthy and true. And because of that, other claims on our understanding of Christian faith and life, other understandings of our faith, that we come to through things like tradition, through culture, um, through experiences of our own, of reason, political powers, need to be tested and corrected by the light of the Holy Scripture. So when we have, say, some, a topic come up in our culture where the cultural perspective on something shifts, and now it's in tension with what the, the Bible says, then we don't go, oh, well, we'll toss out the Bible because obviously our culture disagrees with it. But instead we go, okay, there's a tension point here. Let's engage in Scripture and see how Scripture forms our understanding of faith and life in tension with our culture. Then the final phrase is, led by the Holy Spirit in the church, we interpret Scripture in harmony with Jesus Christ. And this is one of the things that is a little bit unique to the Mennonite Anabaptist perspective. Part of what makes us unique among evangelical churches is this focus that we have here. In Hebrews chapter 1, the author says this, Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. That's how we get most of our scripture. And now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son, who is Jesus. God promised everything to the Son as an inheritance, and through the Son, he created the universe. The Son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. The Son expresses the very character of God, and he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. When he had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. And this is 
key to how we approach Scripture as a church community is that we believe that Jesus came as fully God and fully human, and he lived a life that that set an example of what it means to live as God created humans to live. So we go, the best representation, the best revelation, the best way that God's ever communicated to us who he is, his very character— is through the life and the teachings of Jesus Christ. And so therefore, when you're working through Scripture, where there's 66 different books written by a lot of different authors in a lot of different times, a lot of different cultures, there's parts where it's written by people that were farmers, there's parts that were written by people who were religious leaders, there are parts that were written by people who were government workers. Like, there was a lot of different perspectives. And sometimes you'll sense of tension, and you go, okay, there's nuance here, and we could understand it this way, or we could understand it that way. How do we find clarity? And we go, the clarity is in Jesus Christ. The clarity is in what Jesus taught and the way he lived his life. And so whenever we're in a struggling with figuring out some nuance or gaining some clarity on Scripture, we go, how, what direction does the life and teaching of Jesus point us in? How does it help us understand this? And the authors of our profession of faith say this, because Jesus Christ is the word become flesh, scripture as a whole has its center and fulfillment in him. So if you ever hear us say the phrase, centered on Jesus, Jesus is the center of our faith, this is where it comes from. So what do we do with this? How do you live your life if you believe this? How does this belief shape how you live your life and who you are becoming? 2 Timothy chapter 3, going back there. You've been taught by the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they've given you wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Jesus Christ. Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and useful to teach us what is true and make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. This should sound familiar from the beginning of this message. God uses Scripture to prepare you and equip you to do every good work that he created you for. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10, God says that he planned out good works for us to do before we were even born. He created you for a good work. But he didn't just create you for that. He actually wants to prepare and equip you for it. You're not born ready. As, much, as cool as it is to be like, I was born ready. You weren't. You're born with a plan, and God wants to prepare and equip you for the good work that he has for you. So how do we do that? How do you actually get equipped by it? In our profession of faith, we say we commit ourselves. This is our response as a church community. This is our response to God giving us scripture. We commit ourselves to persist and delight in reading, studying, and meditating on the scriptures. We participate in the church's task of interpreting the Bible and of discerning what God is saying in our time by examining all things in light of Scripture. Insights and understandings which we bring to the interpretation of Scripture are to be tested in the faith community. So we persist, delight, study, meditate, and examine all things in light of Scripture. The funny thing about Scripture is after hearing about this, you're like, oh man, if I just read it for two minutes, it's going to transform my life. And it might. 
But the amazing thing about Scripture, it has incredible depth. It's a lifelong thing. If you have gone to school for 10, 15, 20 years of your life, you know there's days where you go to school and you do the stuff and you go, I don't know if I learned anything. I don't know if this changed me at all. But every once in a while, hopefully there's a day where you have an aha moment where you're like, oh, now I get it. And Scripture is that. There's a reality that you have to persist in it. You can't just go, oh, I read it one time. No, we persist in it. We go, this matters. We're going to spend time in this consistently. And we delight in it because once you've had God equip you and prepare you through it, once you go, oh, this works, it's an amazing experience. And then you want more of it. And we delight that God wants to communicate with us, that God has gone to the effort of saying, hey, I want to reveal who I am to you and communicate that to you. And you don't just study. I mean, you don't just read because you ever have to read something for school and you read it, but there was no test on it. And so you're like, I read it. I read every single word as fast as I could and forgot all of it. Right? I'm good at that. I got, yeah, it's a piece of cake. Studying is a different matter. We read and we study like when we watch this video from the Bible Project, you suddenly go, yeah, there's so much behind what was written. Why is Jesus talking about farming so much when he tells stories? What's up with that? Study it. Look it up. So we study scripture and we meditate on it. And meditation in our current culture, there's the form of meditation where you focus on emptying your mind. And that's one form of meditation. But meditation is the practice of focusing your thoughts. And so you can focus your thoughts on emptying your brain of everything because it's really relaxing to not have all these thoughts going through your head. So you can focus on that, or you can focus on a particular phrase or a word. But when we talk about meditating on Scripture, what we mean is meditating, focusing our mind on the thoughts in Scripture. Spending time in that, going, I read it, now I'm going to spend some time thinking about it, reflecting on it, seeing if there's something that God, as I sit in it, God wants to speak to me and be present. Give him more than two seconds to communicate with you. Actually give him your focus. And then finally, after engaging in scripture, we don't just go, hey, that was an amazing time of reading the Bible. It's so inspiring. And I sat and I meditated on it and now I'm going to go live my life. We examine all things in light of scripture. We examine the tension in our marriage or our dating relationship in light of Scripture and go, is God trying to speak into the good work he has for me to do in my marriage through Scripture? Is he trying to actually prepare me and equip me to be a great partner through this? You examine what's going on at work, the pressures of work, the excitement of work, the project that you're working on. You examine that in light of Scripture. You, when you watch the news— and you're stressed about this, and you're excited about that, you examine these events in light of Scripture. I think of this, have you ever tried on somebody else's glasses? It's a terrible experience. Because somebody else's, everybody's eyes are different, and our glasses prescriptions are different. And you try on somebody else's glasses, and it either makes everything too big or too small, and it's blurry, and it's weird, and you kind of feel sick to your stomach. Because everybody has a different perspective. Their eyes work differently. 
And when we live life, we try on different perspectives to understand the world that we live in. We try on the perspective of our parents. We try on the perspective of somebody that we find inspiring, a teacher, a coach. We try on the perspective of different religions, different worldviews. We try on the perspective of our culture. And we're trying to bring reality into focus and go, why, how does this all fit together? It feels kind of blurry when I look at the world around me. It doesn't make sense. And what scripture does is it's like putting on God's glasses. It's getting God's perspective. And it helps bring everything into focus and clarity. To see the universe from the perspective of the creator of the universe. It helps you to see the things in your life that feel out of control and fuzzy and like you just can't quite see what's going on. And you start to be able to actually see your life from God's perspective and what he's doing there. There's a book I've been reading that they studied a thousand different churches. And they didn't study the churches as much as they studied the people in the churches. And they surveyed them, they asked them lots of questions to kind of go, where are you at in your maturing in your faith? And are you growing? Are you going, are you growing in your faith or are you just staying in one life stage? Because have you ever seen somebody grow up to being a teenager and then just stop there? And they're 30 years old, but they're trying to live like they're 13 years old. And that we can do that in our faith where we grow so far and then we get comfortable and we stop there. It's okay for a little while, but then it starts to be a bad look on us. It starts to be wasting the opportunity that God's given us. So this book is looking through how people in a thousand different churches, where they're at in their maturity and how they're growing in their maturity. And as a pastor, as somebody that speaks most Sundays, I'd love if the book said, hey, if people come to church every single Sunday, they're going to grow really well in their faith. That would be really nice if you showed up here every Sunday and listened to me speak that I would help you just mature in your faith so much. There was a marginal difference between people that attended church every Sunday and only a couple Sundays a year and how much they grew in their faith. So hopefully we're not empty next week. But because attending church is not the primary way we grow. What they found was the primary way we grow in our faith. Going to church is an essential part, but the primary factor in whether people were growing in their faith or not was whether they were engaging Scripture. People that read the Bible, and didn't just read it, but they actually spent some time reflecting on it and how it impacts their life. Those that did that at least three times a week, three or four times a week, almost always were growing in their faith. And those that did not do that we're rarely growing in their faith. Because Scripture is a tool of God's trade. Scripture is a tool that God uses and has given us access to to be prepared and equipped to live a spiritually mature life, doing the good work that he created us for. So when we go, hey, I'm going to pray, I'm going to go to church, I'm going to be part of a community group, I'm going to do all the good things, and they're good things, but I'm going to neglect scripture. It's like trying to move beads with pencils. The pencils are a great tool. They're an effective tool, but they're not here to move beads. They're terrible at moving beads. The next thing you know, you're just like trying to cover the cup and like work around and hide that it's not working, right? Right? 
So that's where it comes to with Scripture. If I'm speaking this and you're going, hey, what do I do? Man, I have my hands full. I don't know what I'm doing here. Um, if you're going, hey, what do I do? I want to get started. I know that I'm a person that doesn't read my Bible three or four times a week. That's just reality. Or if I do read it, then I just read it and then forget about it immediately. I don't know how to spend time in it. On our website, cedarvalley.ca slash resources, we actually have a handful of resources that are incredible for getting you started. And if you're not a digital person, talk to me and I'll help you find some non-digital ways to get started. But I use some of those tools myself to help me consistently engage. So not to persist, start with persisting, engaging scripture, delighting in it as I see God work through it, slowing down to study and learn. The Bible Project has an app where they put those videos in at the right moment, so it kind of fills in some of the details that helps you study, meditate, spend time thinking about what God's speaking to you, and then put on those glasses of God's perspective and look at your life, look at the world around you in light of scripture. That's why we believe that all Scripture is inspired by God through the Holy Spirit for instruction in salvation and training in righteousness. We accept the Scriptures as the Word of God, as the fully reliable and trustworthy standard for Christian faith and life. Led by the Holy Spirit in the church, we interpret Scripture in harmony with Jesus Christ. When we do this, when we don't just believe that, when we don't just say we believe this, but we believe this at the core, and it starts to shape us. We are prepared and equipped to do every good work. Then Psalm 1 becomes true of you and of me, becomes true of our church. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or stand around with sinners, or join in with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all they do. I want that to be true of our church. I want that to be true of you and of me. And God has given us the tools. He's given us the access to be prepared and equipped and grow and bear fruit in every season. So are we going to step into that? Let's stand together and sing the final song this morning.